Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello and welcome to the podcast. We are live at the Market Council Summit and today we have Brad Bierman, the CEO of FP Transitions with us. FP Transitions provides end-to-end solutions for buying, selling, and transforming financial service practices. Thanks so much for being with us, Brad. Well, thank you, Doug. Thanks for inviting me. So tell me a little bit more about FP Transitions. There's a lot of stuff in that little sentence of what you do, but can you expound upon it a little bit for us? Sure. I'd, I'd love to. You know, we're a uh, company with 55 plus at this point professionals. We've been growing rapidly the last, uh, the last uh, seven years or so. Uh, and what we do is we've brought together professionals from a number of different areas, from valuation and consulting and legal analytics uh, and M&A and our goal is to provide advisors with end-to-end solutions around how to manage the value of their business and ultimately how to transfer that value be that an external sale or an internal sale and in the meantime How do you grow it? How do you get it up to a successful point that those values are worth it to a G1, to a founder, to be ready to transfer the reins to that business? We're going to get into much more of that. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, last year was challenging for so many reasons. And as your company was growing It must have been challenging in lots of different ways. How did you and your company and the people in it respond to that? Why, Doug, you know, like like our advisor clients and everyone else going through the pandemic, uh, you know, you went through all of the emotions, of course. But we have a very, very tight uh, company culture. And um, we have a very, very creative group. And they responded incredibly well. And, you know, in, in March and April, uh, as things got very quiet, um, we started to think about how we wanted to respond to that. And then by May and June of last year, our phone started to ring and did not stop. And during that period of time, we had a chance to transform our business as well. We already worked pretty much virtually. In other words, for most of FP's um, career of the last 20 years, we have serviced our advisors remotely. So that part of that part of the transition was not difficult for us. But through the last 18 months, we've really changed the company by bringing on a lot of professionals remotely in different parts of the country, in addition to our uh, Lake Oswego, uh, Oregon staff. So we now have people spread coast to coast. 
with um, with teams in Atlanta and Boston and Milwaukee, uh, San Diego. So uh, that has really also changed the way that we do business and how we service our clients. You mentioned culture a bit ago. How do you continue to nourish and build that culture when everybody's so disconnected physically? Boy, isn't that the question everybody is asking right yeah, now? Yeah. It really, you know, it, it really is challenging. I think that we, you know, we we had an, a uh, we have an office culture that uh, well, I have to have to tell you, you know, Lake Oswego, Oregon, we're um, we're about 25 minutes away from wine country. So the Oregon Pinot Noirs sit literally in our backyard, some of the best wines in the world. So um, on, on more than one occasion uh, during, you know, the, uh, we, will, uh, we will declare wine o'clock at the office. That's hard to do virtually, um, <laughs> but, but we've found ways to, uh, to have everyone join us. We gather people. Uh, we've, we had, um, um, we've had two or three different meetings where we've been able to bring in groups from outside or from our teams. And, and keep that together. And so far, you know, you find out that, that culture is really much more than just the physical presence. It's really a common state of, of ideas, of a common set of goals, uh, a common camaraderie. And although that needs to be nourished by getting people together, it can also be maintained by simply being clear about what the culture, ethics, ideals of a company are. That's very well said. So let's talk advisors. Yeah. We all know advisors are snowflakes. But in general, <laughs> in general, what are some mm. of the reasons that they get itchy to make a change? You know, I think that one of the things that advisors do better than other professionals is that they spend their career thinking about the future for their clients and therefore thinking about their own future and building a plan is not something it is something that comes to them professionally it, it is so a plan means what's next a plan is always about what the next step will be and certainly advisors like all of us get caught up in the day-to-day -day of running their business of essentially being in the business but they do take the step back to work on the business and when that happens that's when we're there to help them uh, it's all about taking the long view and saying some of the things that you may want to get accomplished five, 10, 15 years out, you need to start today. Our old tagline used to be at Advisorpedia, we help advisors grow their business. And I've recently changed that because not all advisors want to grow. And I think our path for success on our platform is to make them successful. And I want your, want your feedback on that. Doug, I think that's a great point. And, you know, when, when we talk growth, I think everyone says, oh, 
Grow means more AUM. Grow means more revenues. But does it? Grow could be a lot of different things. Uh, you know, you could you could be growing your second generation advisors. You could be growing the stability of the company and your ability to turn over more and more of your day-to-day activities to your juniors while you concentrate on what's important to you. I mean, growth can be defined in a lot of different ways. What we don't want to see is we don't want to see an advisor stagnate. We don't want them to be going, well, this is boring. I'm doing the same thing over and over. There needs to be that pathway. There needs to be the objective. And that can be defined in a lot of different ways. When we work with clients, we start out with a very fundamental question. What have you built? Why did you build it that way? Where are you going? When do you want to get there? And how many can answer all four of those? Not too many, but, you know, can you? I mean, you know, no. but, but, but that doesn't mean that those questions aren't worth tackling. Right. And with a, little bit of, with a little bit of thought and a little bit of probing, some real interesting answers come out. And it helps advisors think about why their own business and having a plan for their own business how that transfers to how they're going to deal with their clients as well. Let's talk about some some of the things that are really challenging advisors right now. And I think a number one may be talent. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think that I think that the challenge that we are seeing on talent is just beginning. And part of it has to do with the industry itself. You know, the industry was spoiled by the fact that it came from talent that was really created and nurtured by institutions. The, the advisors who are retiring today were, for the most part, trained in an institutional environment. Those institutions, those training programs have disappeared. There's only a handful that are left out there. So how does... How does new talent enter our industry? How does it get trained? How does it mature? And the better asking that question also says that do we have firms that are ready to accept new talent, number one, and number two, are they attractive to new talent? We haven't thought about those things. We haven't created necessarily throughout the system, throughout the industry, the strategies to get that done. And that is going to be a challenge. It will be particularly a challenge for independent advisors who would like to keep their independence because they will need to transform their businesses to be attractive to that talent. We think they can, but they need to get started. Everybody's talking about the next-gen advisor. I mean, it's all over the place. But advisors are not retiring like everybody thought they would. So how mm-hmm. is that blend going to happen? Yeah, good, you know, good question. You know, when, when I started in this business, which was almost 20 years ago, the, uh, every, everyone said, wow, 
you know, because we started by helping people sell their businesses. And that after 10 years or 15 years, look at the demographic. All of these people are going to want to sell. As a matter of fact, you should sell early, they thought, because prices of practices would go down because there would be so many of them for sale. Yeah, that turned out to not be the case. <laughs> you know, so why didn't advisors sell? Well, look at it. First of all, advisors enjoy what they do. I don't meet very many advisors who don't really enjoy what they do. They do quite well at it. Most of them make a, a very, very good living. And lastly, their clients are their friends. Yeah. Almost always, their clients are their friends. And so, as a result of it, why would you want to give that up? Mm -hmm. We reached the conclusion 10 years ago that, why should you? You really, but at the same time, those people who are 50s, 60s, whatever, who are working 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week, probably don't want to be working 40 or 50 hours a week 10 years later when they're 70 and certainly don't want to be doing that when they're 80. So in other words, what needs to be thought about is how do you transform your work to meet a work week trajectory that's going down? Mm -hmm. And the way that you do that is you need partners. That's how it's always been solved. And so by creating G2 partnerships, by finding next gen to come in and take part of that load away, advisors can stay a longer period of time. And there are other things that they can do as well. I mean, we... Right. So what are some of the ways where they can introduce those G2 people into their firm, keep them interested enough to stay until they're gone? Because mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the now generation. I want it now. I want to be the owner. I want this. I want, I want. You know, I hear that a lot. I, you know, the uh, I've, in in lots of conferences and talking to our clients as well, that everybody is looking for a mini me. They they think that the they think that that junior advisor ought to be like like them, you know, and uh, they you know so that they uh, they trudge to the office uphill through the snow, both ways, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, look, I, I, we know that they worked hard to establish their business. But interestingly enough, the next generation of advisors who are taking over firms that have already been built by an entrepreneur need a different set of talents. They're going to be different than the G1s who are in place. It's not a case of starting with bootstrapping. Instead, it's it's more of an issue of managing. How do they manage the firm? How do they attract new talent? How do they train the G3s that are going to come in? This is a different set. And so sometimes G1s don't recognize that next-gen talent is exactly what they need, but they just don't look like them. So let's touch on the investor the friends of these advisors, who these advisors help through the whole accumulation stage. And then as they age together, there's the decumulation stage. 
So how does a firm correctly manage that by blending in the, the next generation advisor? Uh, I think that that's a great question. And I think it's one that, that the, you know, that the industry has to keep, has to keep addressing. The idea that we're most interested in clients while we're accumulating their money, um, but a little less when it's dispersal phase, when that money is going out the door, uh, is dangerous. We need to make sure that the industry is getting the message through that it is there to support clients over their need horizon, not over the career horizon of any individual. To do that, you've got to have sustainable firms. And part of that is bringing in junior advisors to start working with an owner or a senior advisor in the firm early on so that that teaming is taking place the client is getting used to the new advisor and gradually the new advisor is in a position to begin to service that client as well. That The trust is being transferred and it takes a while to, to do that. But more importantly, the junior advisor is also there to be thinking about the generational wealth that will get transferred. Who are the clients, G2s? Who are the, who are the children? Who are the other beneficiaries? And making sure that they are in contact with them. That's where the industry really begins to work well. And it's also a leg up for independent advisors who work in their communities, who know their clients well, and who can reach out and be part of that community and reach to second generation clients. I think the industry does a great job talking about product providers, services, fintech companies, advisors. We don't talk about the end investor enough and educating the end investor. Would you agree and do you have any ideas on how we can solve that problem? I think that one of the areas that I've been concerned about is that we put a lot of focus over the last three to four years in the aggregation space, consolidation, which in some ways seems like back to the future. We came from a very consolidated industry and we created independent advisors and that seemed to work really, really well. Clients flocked to an advisor who matched their needs, and they had a lot to choose from. One of the things that the industry is not talking about now, particularly through aggregation, is how does aggregation help clients? Does it result in better services? Does it result in wider services? Does it in, result in lower costs? What is the consumer benefit? We know what the benefit might be to those who are involved in the investment in aggregated practices, but we don't know where the benefit is at the industry scale. I think that that has to roll down to talking about, in general, how do we do a better job of talking about and, and being creative of evolving what an advisor is and how that advisor services their client. 
I think that that will come from independent advisors, the people who are out there day-to-day on the front line who are in a position to experiment, to add services, to think about how they can help people not only accumulate their money, have a plan for the future, but also live their best life. I'll get you out of here on this one. What are you most excited about for FP Transitions in 2022? We're super excited about our... We have a number of new initiatives that we're, that we're working on. We're working all the way across from, um, from independent RIAs to also in various networks of transforming those businesses into sustainable firms. And we're doing it by, by helping them spread out the equity in those practices that's exciting i mean when you see a firm with a single owner become to an advisor who then spreads out that equity and brings on four or five new juniors who are all five ten fifteen percent owners of that firm you know that the industry will be in good hands these are these are real talents and they have, they have a spark and an idea about how they want to build, and that's what we need. That's great. Brad, thanks so much for being with us today. Doug, thank you. You can learn more about FP Transitions at fptransitions.com. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team. This is Doug Heikinen.